Hey there, this is Nathan Agin, and welcome to the Working Actors Journey, bringing you in-depth conversations with actors that have been working professionally for decades. Another re-airing of the text work sessions this week, and we continue with Jeffrey Wade from episode number five. You can also listen to the sessions of Shakespeare with Armin Shimmerman and Noel Coward slash Shakespeare with Harry Groner. And if you enjoy the text work, I highly encourage you to check out the full episode with the guest as they are packed with just so much candor, honesty, wisdom, and ideas on life as a working actor. They are fantastic conversations. Today, Jeffrey will be talking about a speech from the player in Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead. It's a beautiful and somewhat tragic piece and will probably resonate with you as an actor. Jeffrey played this part at Weston Playhouse in Vermont, and he even shares some of his script notes from rehearsals. So here we go with Jeffrey. Please enjoy the text work. On that note, actually, I'd love to take a really quick look at Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which you played yeah. the player a few years back. And I'm sure we could spend an hour and a half or more just talking about the play and the part. But um, there was a particular well, I, mean, I guess I'll just let you kind of set it up or what you know what you want to talk about. Uh, well, I, I thought I would just look at this section where I have notes of what I was thinking. It's it's uh, dealing with a, a a sort of monologue, a long speech the player has in in Act Two. Okay, and um, the uh, the director of the show, uh, a man named Steve Stetler, is a director I've worked with a number of times, and he's become sort of my uh, gold standard for directors. Hmm. Uh, this is at a theater where uh, Steve, a guy named Tim Fort, and Malcolm Ewan, who your Chicago listeners will know, he's like Mr. Stage Management at um, Steppenwolf and Chicago Theater in general. These three guys uh, have run this uh, theater, uh, a regional theater in Vermont called the Weston Playhouse for uh, many years now. They actually took it from a non-professional summer theater through all the steps that you're supposed to go to. It's now a regional theater, a Lort theater. Uh, They're all good directors. Steve, I like because he actually breaks the play down. I realize this is the radio, so you can't see the script sure. I'm thumbing through. But he breaks the play down and names uh, names the sections, names the beats. Um, and you're always free to, as, you, as an actor, you're free to challenge that or talk about it. And, um, uh, you know, we do. But the rehearsal periods at Weston used to be shorter. They're now more of sort of a standard three-week thing. But they used to be, you know, two weeks. And there's not a lot of time for uh, messing around. So uh, with Steve, if you had another idea or a better idea and you wanted to try it, you were welcome to do it. But it better work, you know, (laughs) because there's not a lot of time to uh, futz around and do naval exploring and all that kind of thing. Not that there's... I know I'm being disparaging. Not that not that long rehearsal periods are not good, but there's also something to be said for ha- having a framework within which to work and either accepting that or coming up with something better, but coming up with something better now, 
you know, right. Anyway, no, I'm I'm curious when you said he names like the the beats and the moments. Like what what well, like what's an example of that? Or, or here's an example. So Rosencrantz and Guildenstern uh, come across, uh, or actually the players come across Rosencrantz and Guildenstern for a second time, and um, the beat before this uh, is called "Marking the Territory," mm. where these these guys talk about um, what's going on, where they've been, and then this. The name of this beat where the player is berating them, I call understanding the betrayal. And you'll note, you'll notice we've got marking, we've got understanding, we've got words you can work on. The beat after this is called establishing the new order. After that, it was learning from the player. So, right? Those are all active verbs. Sure. And, and just to give people a frame of reference, uh, I'll have the text um, on the website, but uh, if they're following along, it's the player starts with, we can't look each other in the face. That It's that section that... Yes. The player is... Uh, he's he's, tr- he's trying to shut them up. Gross and Grand's Guild started going on one of their little back and forth things about trying to figure out what had actually gone on. Right. And then he's got this speech where he's... And I have all this written down. So understanding the betrayal is, is sort of the name of this beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I have to do is make them understand. The player has to make Rosencrantz and Guildenstern understand what has happened, what their, because what they did before was walk out. They just left. And so I, as an, the player who's an actor, I'm trying to make these two idiots understand why I feel betrayed, why what they did was wrong. And I wrote down, make them understand first general principles, then the specific betrayal that came from reading the speech over and over and again, and and sort of seeing how it was constructed. So that's the way I decided it was constructed. He talks in general about you don't understand the humiliation of it to be tricked out of a single assumption that makes our existence viable, that someone is watching. So he's, he's telling them. And then he describes the scene of what it was like when they were acting out this play in their silly costumes and swords and declaiming to the heavens. And then they start to look around and there's nobody watching them. Well, if there's nobody watching an actor, you don't exist in a way. Mm-hmm. He, he's trying to make them understand what a horrible thing they've done. Then I have other notes here. What do I want from them? What do I want them to do? I want to vent to clear the fog of shame and anger. Their apology slash acknowledgement is a way to reclaim my status, my vi- my viability. So these are all things that, you know, mentally you can... You, you can work on. I'm trying to get them to do certain things, which then feeds back, which makes me feel better because often that's what scenes are about. I'm trying to get something from you in order to benefit myself. Right. Right. But the, the, but the key factor in that is getting something from you. It's not just, you know, I want to feel better about myself. Well, we all want to feel better about, about ourselves, but how do we accomplish that? That's, that's the thing that allows you to go forward. At the end of it, I wrote, dealt with, that's the best explanation I can offer. 
And then I wrote, and my rage is spent. So you know, there's, there, there's, there's an emotional element. This guy's been walking around just furious, so pissed off. And when right. he finally gets a chance to confront these guys, he does. But he, he doesn't just say, what the hell did you do that for? He has to explain to them the whole world, then tell them what they did wrong. And by the time he's done that, he's managed to realign himself, re, uh, so what's the word I want? Get himself back on the rails. Oh, well, actually, there's that word, uh, equanimity. I think, uh, Ros- yes. Rosencrantz equanimity. Gilmore there you go. earlier in the morning. He has. And he, and, and also in so doing, he's, you know, these are all things that you'll hear in various acting classes or techniques. He's also reestablished his status because what they had mm-hmm. done by leaving him high and dry, uh, was remove his status. And he's now reasserted it over them. It, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this because I can even, I can catch myself right now as, as I'm looking at the script and, you know, knowing it's a Tom Stoppard play that there's this sense of, oh, I, I think I know how to, you know, how I would play this scene, mm-hmm. which is not what you want to do. It's, there's this, yes, there's, exactly. there's this yep. idea of, well, what does, you know, what does a Tom Stoppard play sound like? Or, or what's this, you know, if this character's, you know, big and buffoonish, you know, and if you come from that place, it's, it's just not going to resonate. Uh, for you as yeah. an actor, and certainly not with the the, the audience, and and it's it's really um, it's really helpful to hear these things over and over again, kind of drilled in of like, yeah, yeah, this is where this is where you make the connection. Yeah, and and one reason I I picked this particular speech in this particular play because I remember it took a lot of work. I remember, um, you know, spending a lot of time with Steve, kind of alone you know, working this particular scene, because it's, it's, it's a big one. And I have a lot of things written down, which is um, uh, unusual. I, I don't often take a lot of notes. I certainly do take notes. I mean, other than, you know, enter from upstage left with bad <laughs> at center. But because um, these are all things, they're all things you, you hear in every acting class. But, yeah. you know, you, you, when you're in it, you have to sort of be reminded of it. At the bottom of the page, I wrote, this is sense memory not a set speech mm. be in it rather than on it i'll do this s- second bit mm-hmm. and and i uh, again what was i going to say i was going to say something really really interesting oh uh, that was uh, i remember reading this great thing once that uh, someone had asked uh, anthony hopkins you know how do you the same kind of thing you know, how do you prepare what how do you how do you approach a play he said well i read the play and they went, oh, yes, of course. Great. And then what do you do? And he said, then I read the play again. And then what? He said, I read the play again. And he was probably being a little facetious, but you just have to go over it and over it and over it. You know, you kind of read the first time to see what the plot is. You read it the second time for sense. You read it the third time out loud. And, you know, doing things out loud always is different from because what you just said um you know, you read a Tom Stoppard piece and you go, oh I, oh, I get this. I know. I know what's going on here. But then you read out loud and you go, oh, wait, how does that, how does that phrase fit in? Uh, and, and it's only after reading it through a few times that you begin to get this kind of thing, this bit where I wrote, make them understand first the general principles, then the specific betrayal. That's, that's the way the speech is written. You know, it's like uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Mm-hmm. That, that You'll just see that in writers all the time, from David Mamet to Shakespeare, you know, whether it's th- three sentences or 30 lines. That's 
frequently what these kind of things are. So just read it. All right. All right. Here. We are actors. We pledged our identities secure in the conventions of our trade that someone would be watching. And then gradually no one was. We were caught high and dry. It was not until the murderer's long soliloquy that we were able to look around, frozen as we were in profile. Our eyes searched you out first confidently, then hesitantly, then desperately, as each patch of turf, each log, every exposed corner in every direction proved uninhabited. And all the while the murderous king addressed the horizon with his dreary, interminable guilt. Our heads began to move, wary as lizards, the corpse of unsullied Rosalinda peeped through his fingers, and the king faltered. Even then, habit and a stubborn trust that our audience spied upon us from behind the nearest bush forced our bodies to blunder on long after they'd emptied of meaning, until, like runaway carts, they dragged to a halt. No one came forward. No one shouted at us. The silence was unbreakable. It imposed itself upon us. It was obscene. We took off our crowns and swords and cloth of gold and moved silent on the road to Elsinore. That was wonderful. <laughs> and... At the end of that, Guildenstern gives him sort of a slow clap, and he says, a brilliant, brilliant, if these eyes could weep. E even in telling the story, the, the player gets caught up in playing. Right. But you get the, the, the point was, he was devastated. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you see that, you, you see that through line. It's not just, it's not just an actor talking to hear his own voice. It's, yeah. you know, you see the, the pain and, and you, and the, the imagery is so beautiful, but you just, you see, how that is um, really pushing him through this. Um, so, yeah, wow. Thank you, Jeffrey. That was great. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. For, for a, 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 a midweek uh, reading of the player, it was actually, uh, I, I love yeah, it. So yeah. uh, now I love to, come, good. I, now I love well, to see good. the show. Hey, guys. Nathan here one more time. Hope you enjoyed this excerpt. If you're not already subscribed, quick reminder to do so so that you don't miss anything ahead. And if you can take a minute to rate and review this on Google Podcasts or iTunes, that will help others find and learn more about this show. I appreciate all comments, and thank you so much for doing that. Be sure to visit workingactorsjourney.com for show notes and more, and we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Nathan Agan, and thanks for listening.